you remember last week we talked about how bringing Christ into all of life is an epic battle, that there is a spiritual warfare going on in the world. And if you're like me, I often forget about it. Pastor Keith spoke to us last week and shared about how we need to be strong in the Lord, putting on the whole armor of God that we need to put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes of readiness for the gospel of peace, that we need to uh, uphold the shield of faith and put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so my question for you is, how did that go this week? (laughs) Putting on the armor of God. Even if you weren't here last week, if you're at all familiar with the Bible, you're probably familiar with this passage. How's that going? Putting on the armor of God. My, My assumption is that you've had some good experiences this week, some bad experiences, some successes, some failures. Sometimes it's hard even to pick the armor up and put it on because it feels so heavy. Today, we are going to get to the last part of what it means to put on the armor of God. And it is the glue that keeps the armor on us. It is the glue that helps us fight with the word and the sword of the spirit. And that secret weapon is prayer. And that's how Paul chooses to end his letter, by encouraging them to pray. In the Middle Ages, there was uh, there were some knights of Charlemagne that entered into a vicious, vicious battle. The name of the commander was Roland, and Roland had a secret weapon. His secret weapon was a great horn. And you may think, why would that be such a great weapon? Well, the reason why is because with one blow of that horn, Roland could call hundreds and thousands of troops to come in and secure a victory. Now, Roland, because of his own pride, because of his own foolishness, wanted to handle the battle on his own. And he suffered a crushing defeat in that his entire army was wiped out. Now, any loss in war is horrible, but especially when it is completely unnecessary. All of us are daily in a battle to bring Christ over all of our life. And we have been given a secret weapon, the horn of prayer, which is for access to even the weakest of Christians. And so God calls us to sound the horn of prayer throughout our life. And that's what we're going to look at today in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read verse 18 through the end. It's on page 979 in the Red Bible, if you would. Read along with me. Ephesians 6, verse 18 through 24. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. 
so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word, it is our prayer that you would transform our prayer. That we would become a people of prayer. People who would not keep the horn of prayer hidden to our own destruction, but would pray constantly, pray genuinely, pray heartfeltly, depending on your strength for our victory in the battles of this life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There was a man named William Gurnall who wrote a 1,200-page book on the issue of spiritual warfare, on this passage of the armor of God. And he spent 300 pages of that 1,200-page book on these two verses, verse 18 and 19, which deal with prayer. He spent a quarter of the book talking about how prayer is so instrumental to putting on the armor of God. And so this is vital for those who trust in Jesus Christ, that we would be people of prayer. Because for us, we are such weak people in and of ourselves. But with God, we are strong. If you remember back in verse 10 of Ephesians 6, you might want to look there with me. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. It is God's might that gives us victory. We never have victory on our own. The victory always belongs to God, no matter what the situation is in your life. And so Paul calls us to pray, to rely, to call on the strength of God as we fight the battles in our life. And he details here how we should pray. And so first we're going to look and see how we should pray. And there's one word summary of how we should pray. And that one word is this. All. All. Four times Paul says all. Your prayer should be all. Look with me if you would in verse 18. It says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. (laughs) Do you think he's trying to get something across here? All. Your prayer should be all. Let's look at the first one, that we should pray on all occasions, that we should pray all the time in the Spirit. That means whatever situation or occasion or season you're facing in life, it is a time for prayer. I've shared this story before, but I think it's a helpful illustration. There were three pastors who were sitting in a room drinking coffee and they were talking about the best position for prayer. And one said, you know, I just pray sitting at my desk where it's quiet and I can focus and that's the best prayer for me. And and the other one said, no, no, you have to lay on the ground, prostrate, humble before the Lord. That is the best prayer position. The the final pastor said, no, no, uh, the best prayer position is standing up, arms lifted high. That is the best prayer position. And 
in the room was a telephone repairman. And he said, sorry, gentlemen, I don't mean to interrupt, but the best position I was ever in for prayer was when I was hanging from a telephone pole. So often, prayer is our last resort. (laughs) It's like me doing it myself, me trying really hard, me calling all these people didn't work, so finally I will pray. You know, it's very easy to pray when life is difficult in some ways, isn't it? When situations are sticky, when kids are rebellious. And the reason why that is, is because we finally understand that it is outside of our control. We are called to be faithful, to work for God, to work for His kingdom, but ultimately it is up to Him. And the reality sets in that this life is outside of our control. But Paul calls us to pray, not only in difficult situations, but in all situations, in all occasions of life. Not just bad times, but great times, giving thanks and praise to God. Not just when you have it all together, But even when you're an absolute mess and you understand how sinful you are before a holy God, pray is what he says. Not just at church, but at home, in the workplace, when you're driving, when you're playing sports, pray to God. And so the question that comes out of this naturally is, what area of your life is prayer not a part of? Maybe you go to work and when you get out of the car and walk in the door, you leave prayer in the car. Or maybe when you walk into your house, you leave prayer at the door. Or when you go out with the guys, you leave prayer at the door. And he says, bring prayer into all occasions of life. I think of it like a cell phone. You know, we talk on our cell phone in all occasions, sometimes too many occasions, right? Prayer is the same. We can pray to God at any time. And so he calls us to pray in all occasions in the Spirit because the Spirit of God is what, what communicates our groanings to God. And so pray on all occasions in the Spirit. He also says pray with all prayers and supplications. This is all kinds and types of prayers. If you have only one type of prayer in your life, it's kind of like only eating one type of food. Bananas are really good for you, but if you only have a diet of bananas, things are going to go very, very poorly for you. McDonald's is good for a whole different set of reasons. If you have that for a week, you might die, right? And so your diet has to be composed of many things, kind of like the food pyramid, right? Which I think is a square now, or it's changed. But you have to have a balance of the foods that you eat. In this passage, he's saying you need to have a balance of the prayer that you have in your life. There's a helpful acronym that I actually use daily when I'm praying, and it's ACTS. Many of you have probably heard of it, ACTS. A-C-T-S. This is adoration. This is praising God for who He is as the all-powerful, all-knowing, holy, holy, holy God of the universe. And so when we pray to God, we know He is a powerful God, that He is involved God, that He is a loving God. And so we praise Him For who he is. If this is missing from your life, you become anemic in the sense that your God becomes impotent. He becomes uh, unpersonal. He becomes distant. But as we praise him for who he is, it allows us to trust in him. The second C is confession. So adoration, confession. This would be identifying the sin in your life and confessing it to God. For me, the way that I like to do this is I think of the day before. Lord God, How had I sinned against you the day before? And surely there is always an occasion. 
I've never had a time where I said, nope, yesterday I was perfect. If I need help, I can just call my wife. She'll help me out with that. But Lord, forgive me for my grumpiness. Forgive me for my selfishness, for my bad attitudes. God, forgive me for the time I should have helped this person and I sat passively by and watched them do it. And so we are to confess to God our sin, knowing that Christ has died for us, knowing that we are covered. But if we do not confess our sin, if we are anemic in this area, then we make the cross very, very small. Because we rely on our own righteousness, our self-righteousness, instead of Christ's righteousness on our behalf. And so we are to confess our sins. We are also to give prayers of thanksgiving. This is the T. We thank God for all that he gives, that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, for us. Again, I like to think of it the day before. Lord, thank you for the things that happened yesterday. God, thank you for the safe travel I had to and from Presbytery. Thank you for the amazing meal that I got. Thank you for the fellowship. Thank you for the word that this brother spoke. Thank you for the, for the relationship that I have with these people. Thank you that you gave me those words to say to this friend. Thank you for a good night's sleep. Thank you for the air I breathe. You see, this could go on and on and on and on and on, right? Most people that I know who struggle with severe depression struggle in this area of being thankful to God. And so God is not someone that they give credit to for the good things in their life. Everything that happens that's good is merely coincidence and is an accident. And yet... Paul says, give thanks in all situations, even in difficult situations. I love a story of Matthew Henry, who was robbed, and he wrote in his journal that night, thanking God. And he says these things, I thank thee first because I was never robbed before. Um, because although they took my purse, and I don't know why a guy's carrying a purse, but although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Thirdly, he says, I, I, I thank you because although they took my all, it wasn't worth much. <laughs> and then fourthly, he said, I thank you because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. You see, wherever you are in life, there is a reason for thanksgiving and prayer. Even this morning, we were praying for Michelle Ferguson, who you know has cancer. Yesterday, I was talking to Kyle, her husband, and he said, yeah, my wife is going to run five miles today. And I'm like, what? She's going to the worst part of chemo, and yet she can go and run five miles. He goes, yeah, she's sick for three days, and then she's alive again. And so even in the most difficult situations, like 9-11, there is an opportunity to give thanks for how God uses wicked things and uses them for good. And so we are called to give thanks. The final thing, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplications, which is a big word. This means to give our request to God. You know, unfortunately, you know, there's kind of two ends to this. Uh, for some of us, this is 100% of our prayer life, right? It's God, I want this and that, this and that, this and that, right? For others of us, it is 0% because we feel like it's selfish to ask God for anything. But he is our heavenly father and he says, come to me, ask me for all the little things, ask me for all the big things, ask for me to cure cancer. This morning, I was praying that God would make my printer work because it wasn't. Pray for all the little things. Do pray for everything. He's a heavenly father that loves you. You can come to him. Ask him for everything. And he'll respond to you. And he'll either say yes, no, or later. Right? Yes, I will make your printer work. No, I will not. Or later. This morning it happened to be later. But it got done in time. 
But we are called to make our requests before God, knowing that he is a good God and he answers them according to his amazing, good, and glorious plan. I have a friend, my best friend in seminary, and I think I shared this story as well, but uh, he owed $20 to his roommate. And when you're in seminary, money is pretty tight. And so he was working um, to pay his bills, and he was doing yard work, and he's just like, Lord, God, where am I going to find $20 to pay back my roommate? Because my roommate wants his money back. I don't have $20 to give to him. And he's picking weeds, praying to God. And this is not a joke. He picked a weed, and under the weed was a $20 bill. God calls you to pray even for $20. Pray for all your needs. But know that sometimes it doesn't come miraculously. Sometimes God chooses to use the church around you to supply your needs because he gets glory when we love and serve one another. And so we're to pray with all prayers, prayers of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplications. He goes on to talk about our prayers that we should pray at all times. Uh, He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. This is a direction to have a continuous prayer life. This doesn't mean that you go into a monastery or a nunnery and you sit on your knees all day and pray. What this means, it is a life seasoned with prayer. You remember the cell phone illustration, how you use your cell phone throughout the day? What if on a given day, here's a challenge, on a given day, you actually pray more than you use your cell phone? Wow, that'd be a lot of prayer for me. But constantly going to God throughout the day, say, Lord, help me love my coworker who's very difficult. Lord, change my coworker's heart. God, thank you for how beautiful it is outside. Thank you that I have a car to drive to work. But to have a life seasoned with prayer. Finally, he says to pray for all saints. He says, making supplications for all the saints. And so who would this include? All. It would include all the saints, right? This means that we are praying for the persecuted saints in China, saying, Lord, give them strength, give them clarity, but also praying for those who are sitting next to us in our seats. We are praying for those around us. When a soldier goes into battle and he is praying for safety, he does not only pray for himself, he prays for all who go to battle with him, all the other soldiers, because he knows that his victory and safety is contingent on the rest of them, and their victory and safety is contingent for him. And so we are called to pray for all the saints. I know that seems very overwhelming. I give you one encouragement. Uh, One way that I do this is I set up a prayer week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And under those days, I have you all put in there so that I pray for you. The irony is that when I was preparing this sermon, I looked at it and go, God, I'm too busy to pray today. And then I translate this, pray for all the saints. Oh, man, I can't win. So then I repented and then prayed for you guys. But pray for all the saints all the time, on all occasions, with all prayers. All right, next Paul moves on to what we should pray. And he directs this more towards Paul. He directs this more towards pastors and preachers, how you should pray for preachers, preachers in Green Bay, uh, preachers around the world, missionaries, things of that sort, uh, people who he calls ambassadors for Christ. And, And later in this passage, like I said, he will identify himself as an ambassador. And the question is, what is an ambassador? It is simply someone who is authorized as a spokesman. 
right? We have authorized spokesmen who goes to China who are our ambassadors or to Russia or to the Middle East. Those are our ambassadors. And Paul says that he is an ambassador of Christ to carry forth a message. This is further defined in 2 Corinthians 5. These are actually the only two places in the Bible that talks about us being ambassadors. And in both places, he relates it to preachers, to pastors. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5.19, entrusting to us the message that God had entrusted to us, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What does that mean? God making his appeal through us. And so an ambassador is someone who is entrusted with a message, an appeal that is made through them. And then here's the appeal. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Obviously, there's a problem. Obviously, we are not reconciled to God. We are distanced from God because of our sin, because of our wickedness, because we have not run to God like we should. We do not go to God in prayer like we should. We have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed with sins of commission, doing something we shouldn't do, and sins of omission, not doing things that we should do. But see, he carries on this message of reconciliation. How can we, who are dirty, be reconciled with a holy and pure God? And here it is. Verse 21. For our sake, God made him who is Christ Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see how amazing this is? That God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was perfect and holy. And he not only put your sin on him, he made Christ your sin. And then he punished it on the cross. Jesus died as a sacrifice for your sin that you can now be righteous before God, not by anything that you do, but by placing your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. This is God's appeal to, the, to you today, that you would trust in Christ for your salvation. And if you are a Christian, continue to rest on him alone for your approval before God. Because God made him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, to be your sin, that you might become the righteousness of God. Paul goes on to in Ephesians chapter 6 to tell them how they should pray for him as an ambassador of the gospel. And first he says that they should pray that he will clearly preach the gospel, that he will preach it clearly. Look at verse 8, 19 with me. It says, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly, which can also be translated frankly or clearly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Now, this is a quite amazing thing that Paul would say this because Paul is the one who wrote the majority of the New Testament. Paul is the one who flooded the world with church plants, who brought many to Christ through his preaching. And yet he is recognizing that it is not by the eloquence of his words, but it is by the word of God through him. That people come to faith in Jesus Christ. That people are reconciled to God. And so he prays. He asks them to pray for the clear preaching of the gospel. He goes on to ask them to pray for his bold preaching of the gospel. Verse 20, he says, For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly or fearlessly 
so as I ought to speak. Again, this is amazing because Paul had been stoned. Paul had been shipwrecked. Paul had been beaten. Paul had been left for dead because of his proclamation for the gospel. And yet he understood that he could not go another day without the help of God, the power of God, helping him to be bold in his proclamation. So he asked them to pray for him, preacher, pastor, Paul, to preach boldly and clearly. To be honest with you, this is an interesting thing because I'm asking you to pray for me. Uh, When I get up here on Sunday mornings, it's very difficult sometimes. Sometimes I am limping up here because of sin I'm struggling in with my life, because of hard things that are going on with my life. Uh, Sometimes I come up here and I am hesitant to preach the word of God because I know it will offend some of you. And, I, and in, my, in my weakness, I'd rather please man than God. And then God usually corrects me. But this is what I would ask for you. Pray that I would preach the gospel clearly. Pray that I would preach it boldly. Pray that I would not preach what you want to hear. Pray that I would preach what you need to hear. Pray that I would preach the Bible no matter what the cost. Pray for me. Pray for me. Uh, we, we meet at 9 a.m. to pray. You can pray on your car right here. You can pray during the week. Pray for your pastor. Pray for other pastors in Green Bay. Pray for missionaries that they would clearly and boldly proclaim the word of God. Pray dangerous prayers on all occasions, with all prayers, all the time, for all the saints and for pastors that they would clearly and boldly preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to his final greeting, and I'll cover, try to cover it here somewhat quickly. Verse 21, he basically just updates them on their prayer, on their prayers, how he's doing. He says, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your heart. Very quickly, it is evident that Paul has a real relationship with the Ephesians as they fight spiritual battles together and pray for one another. They update each other. They let people know how the battle is going. It's such a model for us as we ask others to pray for us, that we would let them know how things are going. And then Paul moves on, and I want to spend a little bit of time on this, with a benediction. Actually, he gives us two benedictions, which is more for our money. A benediction is simply a good word or a word or of blessing that comes from God. The first benediction starts in verse 23. He says, peace be to the brothers and love with faith, with faith. And so he prays that they would understand the peace of God through the reconciliation that we have with God. And because we have peace with God, we can now have peace with others, peace with those who offend us and hurt us. He goes on to pronounce a blessing of love with faith. Not love apart from faith or faith apart from love, but love that would for Christ that would spur on our faith and faith in Christ that would spur in on our love for Christ and love for those around us. And so the question is, where do we get this faith? Where do we get this hope? Where do we get this love? Where do we get this peace? Do we look inside? 
Do we try hard? Where do we find it? And he gives us the answer at the end of verse 23. Look with me again. He says, peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The source of love, the source of faith, the source of peace is not found in this world. Everything this world has, although great, is a shadow of the love and peace and faith that God gives to us in Christ Jesus. And so the source is God. And then he has his final benediction, which is in verse 24. He says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now, this phrase, and I'll explain it, but it seems very contradictory. Because he says grace to you. Do you know what grace is? Many of you know. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. That God gives you his love undependent on what you do. And yet Paul says here, grace be with all of you who love our Lord. And so it seems contingent that we would receive grace if we love God, right? Doesn't it kind of seem that way? And so the question is, how can it be grace if it's contingent on our love for God? But the answer is at the end of verse 23, what we just read, that our non-ending incorruptible, always and forever love for God, for Christ, is given to us by God and by Christ. Do you see that? And so our love, if you love Jesus Christ, there is this guarantee that your love will never perish, that it is incorruptible because the love that you have for God and for Christ Jesus was given to you as a gift of grace from God. That is grace. And what a great way to sum up this book about grace in the church. What is the church? The church is those who have been shown the grace of God for their redemption, that they might have life in Christ and bring Christ into all of life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this letter to the Ephesians. God, we even thank you for the hardships in Ephesus that caused Paul to write this that we might benefit from it today. Another reminder that you take all things that are wicked and evil and you use them for good. We praise you for doing that, God. Lord, thank you again just for the opportunity to study this book, to understand more and more of your love for us and how it should free us from the sin in our life for your glory and for our joy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.